Welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. This podcast is a project by the ABA section of dispute resolution to increase the avenues where we can connect. My name is Juliana Brigato Pikarski, a family mediator based in Brooklyn, New York. This week, I'm sitting with Michael Wilds and Merjim Kachtazi to discuss childhood under vulnerability, child refugees, and mediation. Michael Wilds is a adjunct professor of immigration law at Benjamin and Cardozo School of Law, Englewood mayor and author of Save Heaven in America, Beatles to Open the Golden Door by ABA Publishing. Merjim Katagis is a licensed attorney in New York, associate vice president at Invest Corp, and a water refugee from Republic of Kosovo. She was a child refugee, and since then, she has become an advocate for domestic violence survivors. I'm honored to have both of you here at Resolutes. Just a real pleasure to be here with you, uh, Juliana and, and Meji. Um, I actually met my wife in my dad's class when he spoke at Cardozo Law School, and the three of us are all alumni of this wonderful uh, law school, and I had two of my four children in my law school class. I now teach business immigration law uh, at Cardozo Law School, so yeah. I'm indebted always to this institution that has not just given me uh, the underpinnings of a professional life, but also a family life. Um, and I look at you as an extension of that, and I'm excited to speak today. I really appreciate. And, and we both are Cardozo alumni, uh, me and, <laughs> and, and, and Merjim. So um, I have a main question that I will keep a little bit after the two uh, introduction question. What does a child refugee look like? Well, this is a very uh, complex area. A child refugee situation is generally any child coming to the United States, no matter where they are, they're going to need to either adjust to a new culture, new friends, or new reality. In the best of circumstances, this is a challenging transition being done at a fragile time in a person's life, and they are developing emotionally. For many children, this change is happening against their will or without their consent. And also there is significant other complexities, such as some coming illegally or trying to evade authorities coming under a false passport or doing it being separated from the parents. Without proper immigration papers, many things will become more challenging as they get older, such as getting into college, getting a license or a job. In short, even the most simple cases are highly complex. For many of these children, these are unprecedented times with separation, difficulty, often violence, sadly abuse, which innocent children are not emotionally prepared for. Well, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Professor. Maggie? Um, well, first of all, thank you very much for you know inviting me to your podcast. I really appreciate it. And thank you for the introduction. Um, a child refugee to me is something I spent a few months of my life being. And if there is, you know, if I can describe it in, in one or two words, is that it's not fun. <laughs> That's all. Uh, I am originally from Kosovo, and I was four and a half years old when the, you know, the, the, the end of Yugoslavia war, which was the war with Kosovo, happened. 
and we, you know, were kicked out of our houses and we went to Albania where we stayed for a few months for like, you know, around three months in a refugee camp. I remember it was the Belgian refugee camp. And for most of the people who, you know, were displaced, then all of these governments, like the U.S. government took in a lot of Albanian refugees at that time. And, and but I guess Europe did most of the heavy lifting. Um, uh, I was one of the lucky ones. I the war ended by the you know by the time that our time came to move away from from the refugee camp. So I went back to Kosovo where I grew up, and I lived there until I was 22 years old. And then I moved to the United States at you know 22 years old um, six years ago. Um, I can't you know like I, I feel that I've experienced like being a child refugee and being uh, a young undocumented immigrant in the United States. Um, it was two, you know, very different periods of my life. But as Professor Wilds was saying, mo- the, the main thing about being a child refugee is that one, you're too young to understand what is going on. Two, it's 99% of cases, you have been forced out of your house and you don't know where you're going. You don't know where it's like, you know, jumping from a building and you don't know if the parachute is going to work on the way down. And I, you know, turned five years old at the refugee camp. And I just remember being confused and scared and not knowing what was going on and what was you know going to happen to me. I, I can't talk about, you know, being a, a child refugee you know, and, and about the laws in the United States, but from a, you know, a perspective of someone who has been one, it, I think it was one of the experiences that, that shaped me into who I am today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and getting the, um, this point about all the, the harm that a, a child in this circumstance can, is it exposed so please give us an example of a child under vulnerability, because I understand the vulner- vulnerability is, is, is an, a concept very broad. broad. Absolutely. And so one example, and we can go to the main question. Sure. I, you know, how vulnerable are they? I, I can give you an example. I have a client who came across the border illegally with a coyote when she was about 12 years old on that journey. She was sexually assaulted numerous times, which even eventually her husband did not know about until our consultation consultation in our law office on Madison Avenue, uh, nearly 20 years later, she had repressed the experience. These aren't uncommon situations. They're often children with difficult home lives, sometimes traveling to a new land without their parents when they don't know the language and they rely a lot on the kindness of strangers. They're often subject to abuse due to their circumstances and their being voiceless, both due to language barriers, fear of authorities, and et cetera. Look, all children are vulnerable and depend on adults to protect them. For immigrants in this circumstance, the adults responsible often end up being the worst perpetrators of the abuse. And that, unfortunately, is the cultural experience that we have. Yeah, that that is an amazing example, and I only to add like I, I'm so amazed because I have Maggie that with her background as a 
child refugee and Professor White, White with all his experience and the law work in helping this this young uh, human being. And I'm a, I'm a second generation an attorney who came from um, a child refugee. My my grandfather was a child refugee from the first world war, and he went to the camp in Italy. And I see the, the, the impact until today in my, in, in my values and principles. So this is, is, is a perfect uh, podcast episode with basically three generations in, um, in a pod. So let me ask the question that will be the center of uh, our uh, further um, questions. Childhood vulnerability and mediation. A successful combination? A very, very good question. Maggie, did you want to address that or should I? Um, I? I would actually like to hear your point of view, Professor. Thank you. You're very kind. Look, how does mediation help them succeed? Again, these are clients. These are kids who often knowingly or not have entered the country illegally or otherwise violated our stringent immigration laws. Depending on their circumstances, the usual immigration options may not afford them an opportunity to cure their station, even if they try to do everything right. In these situations, oftentimes facts are more helpful than law to young children and their journey ahead. Using mediation as a tool, whether it's a USCIS immigration officer, immigration judge, a DHS, a Homeland Security attorney, police officer or prosecutor can go a long way in dismissing a removal case, agreeing to grant a benefit, getting a prosecutor to sign off on a U visa, which is a victim visa, or some other remedy. But mediation can really help go to soften the burden and to make sure that the psychological healing uh, and the way justice is meted out is not harsh to somebody often who is innocent but was put in a bad circumstance. Wow. And you answer my, my, my third question, Professor, the, how the mediator uh, looks like and how these neutrals can perform. Meg, you would like to add uh, something? Um, well, uh, you know, I would just like to add that the, you know, I, I, have been, I have, you know, experienced being undocumented in the United States at you know, when I was, after I was 22 years old and I, after I had, you know, gone to law school in Kosovo and I was fluent in English, you know, when I first moved here and the emotional toll that that took on me, I'm, I feel that I'm still exhausted from that and I still, you know, suffer the consequences. So imagine a child with or without parents, you know, having to go through this and having to go through the system and having to, as, as Professor Wilde said, um, basically being in the mercy of strangers, because in this country, you are at the mercy of, of strangers most of the time, even as an adult. But being a kid and going through, you know, court dates and going through immigration court dates and, and you know, the family court being, being also included in there, it, it is a, a big burden to carry and it and it goes on forever and it yeah loses, and it doesn't have its um ameliorative um uh, effects in other words it doesn't provide uh access to psychological uh help 
um, people are kind of left on their own and at the devices of a lawyer. And un unfortunately, in our space, they're really, really good lawyers and they're really bad. Um, and if they get somebody in between who's overwhelmed, then they're not going to get the attention. And anytime something is postponed, justice isn't being meted out and served. So I just think that you'll get more compassion, more um, psychological support, and more social workers in a mediation uh, environment where it's taken out of a courtroom. Again, a lot of the psychiatric and psychological and physical violence um, has to be healed. And to add and compound it with legal uh, challenges just adds more uh, fuel to the fire. It doesn't take away um, the vulnerability that you spoke of and give people a chance uh, to go forward. So I am a big fan of mediation, helping them succeed. I agree. And, and this is a good point, both of you touch. Uh, the, the traumas that pass along generations and uh, other, other people that sometimes we don't see as a mediator. We have the volunteer, for example, the volunteer um, people engaging and help us, us to, to find a safe place for this transition or a, a neighbor, a therapist, a, a social worker, but not only the attorneys, um, but uh, even um, a close uh, a person that heard about that child that can play as the mediator for in benefit of that child. I would like to add that. So currently we, we have the invasion of Ukraine that is, is unacceptable, especially in those words. We are in 2000, this word, we are 2022. And uh, the world is watching the biggest refugee crisis since the Second World War. Are there difference between the child refugee from Ukraine in 2022 and another child refugee before the pandemic? You know, I, I think that 2022 is presenting refugees, believe it or not, from Ukraine, from Afghanistan, from different cultures and backgrounds and different challenges. And with the winds of war in Europe and the pandemic um, still alive throughout the world, uh, the culture of this has changed, including the use of the available visas that children use who have this vulnerability. And I'm happy to explore those uh, if you'd like me to, but. Uh, to answer your question, the experience is um, very similar uh, from different countries uh, and times, uh, but it's nuanced by the politics of the day. Yeah, we have many, many listeners worldwide and many people commit to getting informed to help those in the war zone. Information can save lives, correct? So Professor Wards, please. Could you please explain the possible visas for a sure, child sure. refugee? No, again, it's um, there are there are a host of visas. I would say that there are five main categories that uh, people listening to this and uh, engaging in this uh, very delicate arena should be familiar with. First, are the U visas. U visas are visas that are given for victims um, of of um, any uh, kind of crime where somebody could be prosecuted and a agency of, the, of government, whether it's a local 
um, state or federal government that's interested in prosecuting somebody would avail themselves of your testimony, they can give you a U visa. Generally, a U visa is a predicate to getting a green card. And we've got some celebrated cases. There's a chapter in my book, and uh, I've, I'm very grateful to the American Bar Association, our host uh, for this podcast, uh, who published my book. It's again, Battles, excuse me, it's Safe Haven in America, Battles to Open the Golden Door, available online. Uh, and Amazon. Uh, the U visa is um, a victim visa. Uh, we've used it um, time memoriam. Our most recent um, pro bono case has to do with the shooting in Jersey City where the Jewish community came under attack and, and an Ecuadorian gentleman stood ground and was found killed um, after he tried to protect 50 yeshiva students uh, from being felled. His wife came to my mayor office the next day looking for help, and we took on to do her U visa without fee, uh, which is basically a visa for victims for her and her family. Um, this is a very important tool, uh, particularly for children who came in without status. It clears everything. We have another case or two where people have committed egregious crimes, but the government is going after worse people, and they, it cleans your complexion up of all of your immigration problems. So that's a very uh, important visa. The next is the SIG visa, the Special Im Immigrant Juvenile. These uh, visas have to deal with uh, sometimes adoption or where parents have terminated uh, parental rights abroad or they're terminated. And then there are other people with young children that are being brought into the family court system and then into immigration system. Um, it often requires us to muster with family lawyers and not just deal with immigration. We, I hesitate to act outside of uh, the lines, as it were, of immigration work. But here, we work with family courts to make sure that parental rights are terminated and onboarded properly, and that an immigration status is accorded to a child. Uh, the next is DACA, which is uh, deferred arrival uh, for you know deferred action for children arrivals. Um, DACA actually held out of a case. The, prin the principles and policies that my father handled. Uh, my father, 89 years young, Tibadal Lachaim, he should live to 120, um, started our practice in 1960, uh, before he started me with my mom, rest her soul, in 1964. But in 1971, enrolled John Lennon uh, from the Beatles because President Nixon at the time wanted to deport the famous Beatle. And it was a journey, if you would, the ballad of a scholar and a dreamer, my father, who had no idea who the Beatles were, um, and got his first pair of dungarees after developing a friendship with uh, John. So it was between a scholar, my dad, and John, a, uh, a talent, a dreamer. And you know his song, Imagine, and you can say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Well, DACA are dreamers. And they discovered the underpinnings of the notion of prosecutorial discretion. My father had pure jubilation in mind when under the Freedom of Information Act, he used that provocatively as a tool and proved that there was a robust system where the government turned their backs and didn't care that a person was a drugster, a mobster that had committed murders and kidnappings because a greater good was had by allowing them to remain here. So by prosecutorial discretion, and for those children brought here by nothing other than the grace of God and their parents by no act of their own, 
there is a remedy that's provided to them. It was President Obama in the second term. Um, he was known as the deporter in chief after his first term that put that forward. And it's again, principles on law that our office had something to do with. Um, the next one are the I-130s from adoptive or step parents. These are petitions that go through the family-based systems from family members that can take on, like I said, uh, certain uh, parental rights uh, as well. There's also the T visa, by the way, it's not just the U visa, but T visa for children that are trafficked with their benefits. And finally, asylum law. The United States asylum law gives a direct path for children particularly who are um, being, um, who have a, a fear of being returned um, either from past persecution or future persecution to countries where they feel that they would be discriminated against based on race, religion, and so forth. Um, our asylum unit is robust, and these laws have gone a long way to protecting young children. Um, so many times uh, our judges compassionate, and you get generally two bites at the apple at asylum, both administratively and then before a judge, uh, where it could take years for your case to be had, uh, but there is ultimately compassion that's shown in America's um, challenges. Well, Professor, thank you so much for the immigration law class. Oh, Maggie, we got the class. <laughs> Looks oh, wow. like it wasn't needed after all. <laughs> I really appreciate. And it was amazing you touched the, the, the about, um, share about the, the book. Your father, Professor Leon Wilde, he published John Lennon versus the USA, and uh, he's uh, he's he's he was East because it was still correct. <laughs> and, yeah, thank God. You know. No, still professor, professor at Cardozo because once professor, always professor. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so he's still professor at Cardozo, and this is 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 amazing that uh, we have um, all that. Um, opportunities uh, to help uh, legally help uh, uh, the child to to not only succeed um, but to mitigate what is possible uh, after all the trauma and uh, uncertain times and uncertain future and and the beautiful that. Uh, we have Maggie here as a successful child <laughs> refugee. I'm, I'm so, so amazed because uh, Maggie has been inspiring me during my Cardozo days <laughs> too. And uh, I really am amazed that I have Professor Wilde and, uh, and Maggie to ask the question, as global or local community members, what can we do to help a child refugee? Maggie? Oh, yeah, Professor, thank you. Um, there is a lot we can do and there is a lot we, we shouldn't do. Like, you know, if, if the world wasn't so messed up and, and as Professor said, the politics wasn't, you know, in, in every corner of our, of our lives, we wouldn't even have children refugees. We wouldn't have children refugees from, from Central and from South America that 
literally cross the border here, you know, walking or, or running or anything because they don't feel safe, you know, in their own countries. And we wouldn't have refugees from Afghanistan who also, you know, don't feel safe and, and whose life is threatened every day. And, and when we see, you know, the, the latest situation in Ukraine, we, we also wouldn't have those refugees if, you know, if um, the politics of, of each country, you know, were better. But since we're past that, and, you know, there's, there's nothing we can do about that, I, I think, and I am a permanent resident now, so I feel that Ooh. I can speak on behalf of the United States. Um, and, you know, something that Professor... Wiles mentioned is the the very you know straight and cold cut between dealing with the lawyer and and going through immigration court or family court proceedings and everything else you have lived as a child you know like everything that has brought you here uh, you know from my personal experience fortunately when I was a child refugee I left my country together with my parents and even that you know, was, was stressful. And it was, it was an experience that, you know, I will never forget, but I cannot imagine me at five years old, crossing the Kosovo Albania border on my own, which by the way, a lot of people from Kosovo did that because their parents were, you know, either killed or taken away from them on the way, you know, when we were leaving the country. And I think that what, you know, we can do to protect them would be some, you know, as, as the, the U.S., because I live here and, you know, talking on like our immigration system here, create a, a bridge between, you know, a bridge that is something that connects the, the children refugees to the, to the courts, whether it's the immigration court, the, the family court, or even, you know, the DHS, the USCIS and the ICE and, and everything else, because on and, and, you know, I believe that, yes, lawyers are very busy and they're very over, overwhelmed. And I also believe that lawyers shouldn't act as therapists for, for their clients, even if they're children. But the, the, you know, like the cut between children and, and the courts is too steep. And we should, you know, be doing something in, in between, which, you know, as you mentioned, is, is mediation, where psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers are included, where we create a safe, you know, a safe space for those children, because these processes, like these, you know, court um, dates and stuff, they are very, very long, and they're very exhausting. And oftentimes, these children, refugees, get caught up in the middle and they, you know, I, I, I was working at an immigration law firm for like a year and a half before I went to law school. I was a paralegal and a lot of them aged out of SIJS. And it was during the time when, you know, Trump changed the law and it was like, if they're, if they're over 18, but under 21, they don't qualify for, for the I-360 or, you know, the green card even if they were, you know, being adopted by U.S. citizens. So anything that fills the gap between this, you know, is something that we could and should do. And I understand that 
the U.S. has many of its own problems. And, you know, this sounds crazy to someone if, if you say, you know, like you need time and resources for this particular. But these are also, you know, people that have found themselves here. And if we can't show compassion to, to adult immigrants who can come here, we should at least show that compassion and mercy and kindness to the children refugees that, you know, come in here against their will, without their consent, and just find themselves in this in this crazy world. Well, well said, Meg. You know, and you know, I I have to tell you that when we explore the examples of Ukrainian children, which is topical now this week. Yeah. Uh, these child, these children, these refugees, uh, and their possible legal steps from the Ukraine to the United States. Um, we have to be sensitive to your journey and and also future journeys. These are children that may be separated from everything that they know. I had a, yeah. a, a woman in who yesterday whose husband was left behind to fight uh, for um, their life in Ukraine, and she and her daughter are living in New Jersey, um, trying to fend for themselves. Um, we have seen parents who couldn't accompany them due to obligations, sadly death or armed service. Uh, many of these children don't speak English um, and they don't have an immediate path to a visa or the luxury of waiting for the system to kind of play itself out. You know, if something happens to Putin and the war stops, these families are split and their asylum effort may not be fruitful down the road if they've banked only on political asylum because the circumstances may change, country conditions can change. And yeah. this kind of transition has great legal effect. Uh, many families are also resorting to other methods such as showing up at the border or sneaking across, which may not provide an option to permanently settle. So many people are coming through the Southern border from Ukraine, believe it or not, um, just pleading for asylum because of what they perceive America, uh, America's politics. Uh, even the Uniting for Ukraine program, uh, which only provides an option to parole in for up to two years, what happens after those two years? Why uh, is the parole, instead of a lawful admission that may allow changes or people to adjust their status, a legal term of art to getting green cards. How long will the process take for people with no time to wait? These are emergencies. We can't sit there and, and split hairs and say, well, you were paroled into America, you didn't make an entry. And then a, a generation from now, we pull the carpet from underneath their feet. Also the temporary protected status, this TPS status, as its name indicates, it's temporary. We've seen people in the past from tsunamis affected in Japan and earthquakes in Haiti, in Venezuela, and now in Ukraine uh, and Afghanistan, where people are coming, particularly as children, they may make their lives permanently in America. However, with nothing more than a Band-Aid, they may now be setting themselves up for a lifetime of legal difficulties with no immigration solution in sight. So we can't hand somebody who's facing monumental challenges a Band-Aid. Band-Aid's not good enough. We need to do better and protect these children. We need to open new options when current runs don't meet the needs of our new reality and invest in the children around the world who will not only pledge their allegiance one day to our flag, but they'll be the greatest risk takers and entrepreneurs. That's what our 
founding documents and parents envisioned a nation that would invest in those huddled masses and not make them more vulnerable than they are a generation later. I, I, I agree. And, uh, and to, to add a, a little bit to, to the amazing um, strategy both of you offer to our listeners, and the, the kindness and the active listening, um, uh, I believe is, is useful tools, not only to rescue these kids from the refugee status, but also to rescue any kid under vulnerable situation because we have the uh, uh, domestic and uh, and domestic and international abuse too and um, human trafficking we have the smuggling we also have a traumatic divorce um, um, proceedings <laughs> that also uh, can affect a child um, as a fact, uh, um, I'm not comparing, but like a, it's so traumatic that can, can lead for, for traumas and for challenges in the life and learning challenges also as a child that come from the war zone. Um, to wrap up our conversation, would you like to add a comment or a question? Uh, Maggie? Um, no, but you know, I'm. I guess, yeah. My comment would be. I imagine I said no, and then I said my comment would be. Um, oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, I. You know, we we can you know sit here and have podcast after podcast and talk about how you know things should be, um, but that is not going to change anything if we you know, don't at least try to do something. And I just want to say that I really, you know, appreciate the, the, this initiative and the, the fact that you, you know, kind of figured out that mediation would be a, a, at least a partial solution to all of this and that you, you know, are willing to explore that. And of course, the, even the, the, ABA is also, you know, willing to kind of take opinions from lawyers and from people who have, you know, been through the, the, the same situation. And all in all, just, you know, thank you very much for, for deeming me um, good enough to be part of this podcast and to share my personal experience. I, you know, I can just say how proud I am, uh, not just to be a professor at a law school that embraces um, not just equity, um, but children of vulnerability and produces lawyers like both of you, um, makes me proud. Um, makes me proud that you're able to use the uh, tools, the technology, right after you're graduated, you both graduated pretty recently, um, and speak other languages and speak the cultures that we uh, need to learn and respect, and that the law um, turns as a skeleton um, regenerates its flesh um, on the future. And you know, this golden experiment that we call America uh, is not a perfect union, but is something that still 
uh, needs to improve on, on its cadence and its step with history. Uh, as students of history, we all have to realize that it repeats itself and that what we're seeing is not new and that the battles that we've won and fought, we have the resources to uh, do and that we ought to be, as I said before, investing in those huddled masses and those vulnerable children so that they will not just pledge their allegiance to our nation, but they will help uh, it when we uh, need their help and they'll feel vested and invested in us. Uh, we are not just the moral cop of the world, but we ultimately um, establish ourselves with that uh, notion. And I have confidence uh, that uh, Congress uh, eventually will get it right and that we will be judged by children as I know as a father and now a grandfather, by what we do, not what we say. Uh, and it's so important uh, that you and the Bar Association have brought these topics up and I'm humbled to, to participate in it and hope that if anybody needs to reach me, they'll reach out to me. My email is michael at wildslaw.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L at W-I-L-D-E-S-L-A-W.com. Uh, we often handle a lot of these cases for no fee or low bono, pro bono or, or low bono, um, so that um, people will understand where our hearts are as well. It was my privilege. I'm sorry, even I got a little emotional because, well, when when um, uh, a professor um, in with Yerka here um, um, compliment. Uh, the students and we both are students that uh, got uh, are guided by our professors, especially from Cardozo. Uh, is the privilege is our privilege, and I'm very I'm very happy for the ABADR section uh, trust in host this special podcast. Um, is our first uh, a podcast about a child, a child refugee, and and that um, open uh, the doors for other discussion that can uh, contribute for the and for the community engagement that in these times is very important. We act with kindness and respect. Doesn't matter of if you're in the law world or outside the law world. I would like to add that Maggie is, uh, is she has many siblings and she inspired us to, to be brave and to, to be persistent in our dreams. Doesn't matter if our background is not uh, uh, so supportive. And the Professor Wilds, he, he's, Serve more than 30 years as a, a emergency um, volunteer. He's a Hatsala guy. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for your service too, because the Hatsala and the other volunteers, emergency volunteers, they are essential. And they are on the first, on the, on the front to protect child. Um, and Thank you so, so much. Our pleasure. Thank you for hosting Thank you us. So much. Again, we look forward to an improved uh, condition each time we, we, we learn from the last one. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Professor Wilds. Thank you so much. Maggie, Maggie, Faluminaires. Oh, 
Oh, wow. I'm sure that took long. Albanian language is difficult, so I really appreciate it <laughs> that you, and you said it correctly. Thank you very much. Michael and Megin, it was a pleasure to have you on our program today. Thank you for joining me on the Dispute Resolution Podcast.